Let's go. Mama told me. Yeah. Black pastry. Mama told me. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Mama told me. One day I'ma grow up big and I'ma be a king. And my papa told me. It's okay to say when shit hurts. Don't forget your dreams cause they'll get you through this. So far life they call living but I call it strange. And I bet I'll do it. Cause I'm on my way. It's strong enough that yeah. I can shake the pain. The world is coming out of uh, the COVID-19 fog. Finally. Well, starting to at least. It feels like things are lifting. At least there's a a small light at the end of the tunnel. For some things. For some things, probably not. Yeah. And of course, I know we talked about it a little bit last week. And, uh, and, um, you know, I'm, of course, the uh, epidemiologist, the expert on this, the scientist, the doctor. But no, I, I really don't know. If you get a degree from Ohio state, you get all, you get everything, right? It's like all in one. It's all in one. Yeah. I got the, uh, the combo package. So (laughs) I went for the, for the group, the medical grouping. Yeah. But we, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm up here in Ohio. Um, I think we've got, they announced gyms and pools and restaurants starting to open back up. The real question is who's going to, actually go out to them the the debate i'm seeing about gyms in particular like my gym who's been radio silent literally from the day that the the shut-in orders came until today so from march 13th until may 14th so right two months radio silent. so today they announced june 1st we get to open up with that, we have obviously some restrictions and guidelines, but we have a pool, we have a steam room, we have a sauna. All those are off limits. The 24-hour access is off limits, and we're still supposed to practice social distancing, which is fine if you're lifting weights or running on a treadmill or this and that. But how does it work for people that do like a boxing gym or jujitsu or anything that requires MMA. people – to touch each other. Yeah. Well, is, you know, is I, that, yeah. is that clear as mud right now in Ohio as it is here? Because it's not, there's no real guidelines uh, yeah, on that. Cause I thought about that too. And actually I think, you know, at, at least at the beginning, one of the things that I um, kind of saw was um, obviously no contact or limited contact. I think the boxing is a little bit different cause you can hit a heavy bag or speed bag or um, I mean, if you want to get, you know, probably to the line might be like hitting, uh, hitting pads with another person holding pads, but like a jujitsu gym, I think the most that they'll probably be able to do. And my guess is doing like drilling and drilling with some sort of like, you know, practice dummy. I know they have like spar buddies and things like that out there. So that would be my guess and how, you know, whether gyms are actually going to do that or not, I don't know, but that would I would be, guess that that's probably about what they can do, but I don't know. Remains to be seen. Between that and other aspects, like I, for the first time in my life, scheduled, made a hair appointment. Have you ever done that? Oh, you said you're you you and your barber text right? Yeah, and you 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 already doing that, but so. If, 
from what the way I understand it, based on the like the health board and stuff here, I'm going Monday at eleven o'clock. So I'm gonna walk in. I'll be the only one there. From the time I sit down in the chair, he has ten minutes to cut my hair for me to pay out the door. Then he has to wait twenty minutes so he can sanitize everything before he can bring another wow patron in. And he told you all this already. Yeah, he posted. Yeah, he told me that, but he posted the, uh, I guess, the state barber board. Yeah. Man, I'd like to be ahead of the barber board. Like their requirements. That's interesting. I know that where I go in the past, they had, they did like 30-minute appointments. Um, and it usually takes... Anyway, that was their standard way of doing it anyway. Yeah. But, you know, it's they're not... I It takes that whole, you know... 20 to 30 minutes for them to actually cut your hair um, usually. So I don't know. That's interesting. Maybe they'll go to our appointments and take their time or, or yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. You got to think that's cutting into their bottom line. Obviously something's better than nothing, but the vicious cycle of uh, building owners to business owners, you know, shit rolls downhill <laughs> and uh, the consumer is usually the one, whether it be from a shortage uh, or theft or anything, the the buck kind of stops with the consumer. So I don't know what the general haircut fee is in Ohio. I guess it all depends on where you go, even here. But yeah. like ten bucks is about the is about the industry average here, you know. And I think I usually throw in a few extra dollars tip, but. I'd be interested to see what the prices look like when you can only cut, you know, two, maybe two and a half people an hour. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. But, yeah, it's definitely going to cut into some bottom lines. And I think that's the way that people – and I think no matter what, you know, no matter how we come out of this, people are going to have to start adjusting. And, unfortunately, that's probably – just like you said, it's going to fall on the end consumer of, you know, if you want to have this, you know, I don't think that getting a haircut is necessarily a luxury, but if you want to have this um, service, then you're going to pay what the going rate for is, which, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, man. So you sit down in the barber chair, say somebody you've never went to for the first time, give me your haircut. My haircut? Yeah, tell me what you, I'm your barber. What are you thinking about? How you want this done? I usually do like a, a fade with, um, I do clippers on the side and back. I do anywhere between. It depends on how, like in the summer, I'll usually do like a one and a half. In the winter, I'll do like a two guard, um, fade it up. And then I usually keep the top a little bit longer. So usually like, finger length, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, are you a comb over? I'm trying to think you are. Yeah. I usually comb over. I I don't even really comb my hair. Um, usually what I always say is when I wake up in the morning and my hair is sticking up, that's time to get a a haircut. Um, (laughs) I usually do every like three to four ish weeks. I'm not like every two week person that I know some people are, but, um, yeah, I'll let it grow out a little bit. Um, I always say, you know, I have the luxury of having hair that actually grows. So 
for the mm-hmm. time being. I'm at least going to let it grow a little bit. Do you have a history of balding in your family? Not really. My dad had a uh, like a mullet until the day passed. So um, that's really- awesome. <laughs> you Rock- it didn't matter if it was in style or not. He was rocking it. That's right. Um, and super dark, like jet black hair. Um, you know, all the way into his you know until he passed. But definitely, he got like more like salt and pepper gray, which I'm kind of hoping that that's what I end up with. But um, on my mom's side, there is some like balding, but not more thinning than balding, I think. Um, yeah. Except for like one uncle that's like went bald when he was like 19, which is crazy. Isn't it crazy how you, how that just happens? Like there's no rhyme or reason. You just maybe part genetics, part environment. I don't know. Yeah. I don't but, know. Yeah. It's definitely, I think, um, exactly like you said, genetics and environment. My dad was a ginger. So super fair skin, light red hair. When he went through chemotherapy, obviously he lost all of his hair, um, which is expected. But after that was over and it grew back, his hair, he was balding. Uh, It was super thin, like fine hair anyway. You know what I mean? Like just real soft. When after chemotherapy, it all came back. Brown. (laughs) Like different color hair. Growing back where it hadn't where follicles weren't before. It was the strangest looking thing ever. And so radiation chemo, you know, and you I don't know. Crazy things happen. (laughs) Is that uh I don't know. Does the Hulk's hair change color? It doesn't, does it? Bruce Banner and the Hulk have the same color hair. Yeah, they have, I think, dark hair, like super dark, like almost black. Yeah. Hair. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. My hair's thick. I'm like you. I do a fade on the side, scissor cut on the top, just enough to where I can comb it over. Now, my beard, since this podcast is, you know, basically about my beard and your beers, um, it grows super fast. And when the pandemic hit, I did two things the day of our lockdown. I got a haircut and I went to the gym. So I will get my next professional haircut a week before I get to go back to the gym. But it's, when I when about a month, I guess a month into the lockdown, cut my son's hair, my wife cut my hair, all just like burr, one all the same length, even into my beard. And I think I was about like a three guard. So every the everything was proportional, right? So just looking at the you know, like the guards on the clippers, I can put like a four, which I assume I don't know, I would say my beard right now is three inches long four inches, and it you know it's anytime i trim it and it comes back i have gray spots in different areas and some parts look red it i don't that's weird you're the doctor here david why why tell me about colors of hair it it is mind-boggling because i have like gray hairs and i have the like my gray hairs that i have are like super 
like they're like thick and they're they've been in the same spots since I was like 18. Now I have I have a few more now, but I feel like the, my gray hairs are super thick and super obvious. But I don't know about yeah getting more when you maybe it's just that the hair under there was starting to turn gray or something or different color like you're and you couldn't really tell and then you cut it and it uh, started to go gray. Yeah, but just in different spots. I don't know. Art now, I'm considerably older than you, and I'm at the point where, funny enough, I'm I'm doing this in front of a mirror, but I've got, you know, I'm I'm getting pretty great up here. There are plenty of services and products that can keep it, you know, not gray. Maybe one of those will sponsor us. Well, when you get to that point, are you gonna color your hair? Or are you just going to let it go? No, I, you know what? I feel like I'm banking on the fact that I'll be lucky enough that it won't go like gray, like overnight. <laughs> and maybe I'll just have like dark, dark ish hair and like some salt and pepper for a while. And then probably by the time it goes all the way gray, hopefully I, I won't I'll stop caring, which will be about 39 is when I. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Yeah. So. You're already there. But I have a two-year-old, so I feel like I have to look after my appearance a little bit. Yeah. And try to try to be healthy. Uh, I don't People know. are probably like, how long do you think it's going to take until someone that, like calls you his grandpa? Because you know that's going to happen some, at some point. So my daughter likes to point out that when he graduates high school, I will be... I'm exactly... Uh, I turned... 37, two days before he was born. So, so 54, 55. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, but I feel like that's normal. I mean, Mick Jagger had a kid at like 79. <laughs> so you're comparing yourself to Mick Jagger? I mean, I've got, I don't know that I have the moves like Jagger, but I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. You'll find out. Yeah. You'll find out. You have kids. It's a That's what causes the gray hair. That's why I don't have any really yet. And and being confined in the same place as them. But you've got dogs. We've, we your dogs made an appearance earlier. I heard them barking. Yeah. They they that will stress you out as well. They don't like it. I uh locked them locked myself in in the, the recording studio and they don't like being able to not being able to be where I am. If they're seven Are they like that when you're working during the day or do you let them in? I let them in. They, uh, I, like we have like a spare bedroom, which is where I'm working. And, um, there's obviously a bed in there. So usually one or both of them will be laying on the bed for most of the day. And then they've got their dog beds strategically placed throughout our whole house. So they can lay down wherever they want. <sighs> That's the life, man. That's the life. <laughs> Just like walk around and then like, oh, there's a bed here. I might as well take I mean, the not sponsored, but definitely uh, recommended is Abby and I got a Nectar mattress, which I guess the, the box mattress is a, th- I mean, there's a ton of companies out there. Yeah. Um, purple, fluffy, Nectar, I mean, it runs the gamut, it, but it literally comes in a box like your old springy mattress that, that 
the only mattress I ever knew until two days ago. It's I will never use a mattress like that again. Yeah, we. Uh, I don't know. We actually got like the mattress in a box thing too, but we have one that I don't know if it has. I'm. I guess it has springs. Um, but we wanted one that wasn't that didn't have um, fiberglass in it. Um, which all now what has fiber? So so memory foam is fiberglass. Yeah. What kind of witchcraft is this? Because this, when you touch the mattress, it's cold. Like all the time. It's cool to the touch. That's what I need. I get hot when I sleep. Hmm. Does it have to put ice in it? I don't know. Dry ice. All right. Let's Um, talk about what we are drinking. Because on our first episode, we promised that we would each bring a special drink mm-hmm. and I'm bringing the beer you're bringing the bourbon so I told you I had a special beer so I'll go ahead and go first tonight I am drinking from Treehouse Brewing a beer called That's What She Said it is a milk stout it is 5% alcohol and the way that I acquired this beer this is actually I think it's either my first or second beer from Treehouse Treehouse is regularly uh, ranked as one of the top 10 breweries in the U.S. on untapped rate beer, um, whatever. Um, And uh, one of my wife Angie's friends is from Ohio. She and her husband moved out there. He went to Harvard Business School for a couple of years, and they uh, moved back, and they're really into craft beer, so we did a beer trade with them. So we've got like... I don't know, five or six beers from all from Treehouse. Um, they're more known for like their New England IPAs, um, which I'm going to hopefully break into here in the next couple of days or so. But this is a milk stout. So uh, now explain milk stout to me. Yeah. So milk stout is just a beer that is so a stout beer is a beer that's brewed with dark malts. So the, the malt that you uh, that you brew the beer with is usually so it's usually a chocolate malt um to get a dark beer um it gives you that more like that that fuller body um of the beer um and usually surprisingly like anywhere from like usually less than 10 percent of your total malt your total what they call grain bill will be a dark malt to make a dark beer um but this so it gives it the color yeah the, the dark like you know, it's super dark brown or black color, but it also gives it that like rich kind of like robust flavor, you know, the milk chocolate, dark chocolate or coffee flavor. Um, sometimes Bitch, you there is no way there you can no. taste any of that in those beers. <laughs> so this beer tastes exactly. So they call it a, uh, what do they call it? A, an adult, uh, adult chocolate milk adult chocolate milkshake so and a lot of times so milk stout the the milk stout comes from adding lactose to the beer so which is basically adding a milk byproduct to the beer to give it that milky like almost like smooth creamy um like mouthfeel and and kind of aftertaste Mm -hmm. Um, but this beer is surprisingly flavorful for a beer that's only five percent 5.6% alcohol. Um, 
So I, I'll read you um, the description. Uh, a sneakily complex beer. Uh, that's what she said exhibits flavors of milk, chocolate, dark roasted coffee, caramel, and even a hint of smoke. It's absolutely loaded with flavor for a 5.6% beer, and the inclusion of lactose takes the edge off the dry, roasty notes found in a typical stout. The adult chocolate milkshake, with this batch being very chocolate-heavy, a beer that is notorious for converting pale beer lovers to the dark side. So, typically, this is not a beer that I would be drinking when it's like it's like 80 degrees outside right now. But um, yeah, this is like a comfort beer, right? Like when it's yeah, like when yeah, when not a refreshing one, but this is like if you were gonna you know pour a nice hot cup of cocoa instead, you go for the that's what she said, right? which I love the, uh, the name of the beer. And that's, I know that we are both fans of the office. So correct. Why I chose this. Is there a connection to the office or is it just a catchy name? Just a catchy name, I think. Um, and again, the, this brewery is, is more known for, you know, they're in, in obviously in new England where the new England IPA uh, originated. Um, they're more known for that style of beer, which New England IPAs is a IPA with tons of hops, but it has a like softer, like almost juicy mouthfeel. Um, and they get that by adding oats to the beer. So you get like a, almost like, so a lot of like, you might've heard the, like the term hazy IPA. So instead of being clear, uh, or translucent, the beer, when you pour it into a pint glass actually has some haze and depending on you know the amount of of oats in the beer and and other things like that sometimes sometimes some of them still end up fairly clear but i've seen ones that are like completely opaque that you can't see through that are like a almost like a burnt orange color um but yeah this is a definitely a good beer and i always like my stouts like a little bit warmer so a lot of times i'll pour them before a little bit before uh before i want to drink it because you don't want it to be super cold i feel like you get um some more of like that chocolate roasty flavor the more that you let it warm up and angie uh tried some of this beer and said that it tastes like just like pure chocolate i think she said like hershey chocolate syrup so it's a good beer can you does it can you buy it anywhere or no, that's one of the, so this beer, this brewery doesn't really distribute outside of um, Massachusetts. Um, I think, I mean, they might, they're in the Boston area. I think they might go, you know, maybe a hundred miles from where the brewery is. So this was kind of one that I kind of lucked into um, and was able to do some beer trades. Um, they, they wanted to um, kind of get back into kind of the Ohio Cincinnati beer scene, you know, moving back to this area. Um, so we, we picked out some of our favorites and traded with them for some of the stuff that they have. So you've, rev- you've been to 8,652 breweries. Um, yeah. Not and you can, and you can follow along with where he's been on Instagram and on your website. But, have you found that when you travel, like say from you go from Cincinnati to Tampa Bay, you know, yeah. I know when you're in Florida, you hit it. Is there a lot of similarities? Is it polar opposite? I mean, cause 
I feel like when it comes to bourbon, bourbon is bourbon and you're going to get, it doesn't, there's not going to be a huge variation. You know, uh, if you add anything other than it's true ingredients, it's not bourbon. So you, you can't, it can't be a chocolate bourbon. You know what I mean? But beer, there's so many variables and so many different ways to make it. I feel like you would run into some repetition or it could just be wide open with some crazy shit, different places you go. Well, you get a little bit of both. So, um, you get, uh, obviously some, some trends that are, are big across the, uh, across the, the craft brewery landscape. So New England IPAs is one of the hot things, sour beers. Um, of course, traditional kind of that West coast IPA, that piney floral IPA, um, is is something that kind of in the last like 10 years really helped you know with the craft beer boom so those are probably the biggest things that you see see a lot of sour beers so you see a lot of the um a lot of a lot of a lot of similarities in different areas um one thing i always you know do when i travel is i will do a ton of research on um, on breweries and, you know, what each brewery has, what kind of what they're known for, things like that. So I do research in a couple of different ways. I'll look on, um, untapped has a feature where you can look at the top rated breweries in a city, um, based on how people, you know, kind of rate the beers. Um, and I take that a lot of times with a grain of salt because a lot of times the, the, the beer nerd type of beers, whether it be a, barrel aged sour or you know russian imperial stout so if a brewery focuses on that or something crazy like you know heavily fruited beers that people go crazy over a lot of times those get higher ratings so the breweries that focus on those will you know tend to be rated a little bit higher um but you see like one of the the um things like you you called out florida so florida has a very um heavy like uh they call it florida weiss which is a berliner weiss um basically just brewed in florida so it's a perfect florida beer it's a light beer um that's usually under like four percent alcohol that is oftentimes heavily fruited but it's also has a kind of a wheat like a, a slight wheat variation that's like super refreshing for the summer almost like a, a shandy like if you know like it's not like a Michelob Ultra. No, because a Michelob Ultra <laughs> is, yeah. is water. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also Michelob Ultra is still, a, it's a lager too. So, um, but yeah, well, you, you, you get different areas that will have kind of their style. Like in Cincinnati, we're really known for um, cream ales, which is a, like an ale brewed with corn. That's kind of almost like it has like that, like cream corn flavor um, because the beer Little Kings was, um, you know, originated in Cincinnati, you get obviously in New England, you get the New England IPAs and, uh, California, you get tons of, of those West coast IPAs, um, you know, where that, that style kind of originated. So different areas definitely have their, um, their styles. Um, but you can pretty much find any type of brewery doing anything almost these days. Um, but that's why I do a, a ton of research. I, and that's, I, I think the big thing too, like with beer, you get a lot of that variation. So you can go to two different breweries and get two completely different, um, 
you know, experiences. Whereas in bourbon, that's one of the things I was thinking about, you know, as, as we talked about topics for today was I, with craft beer, um, they're, they're really worried about, you know, how, how the impact of, of, you know, coronavirus and COVID is going to impact craft beer because for a lot of breweries, most of their sales are on premise. They're actually still, you know, their sales are in the tap room anywhere from, you know, on the low end, probably like 40 to 50% of their sales are done in their tap room versus on the high end, hundred oh, percent. Wow. Um, there are, you know, a good portion of breweries that are pretty small where they only sell their beer in their tap room and you can't get it anywhere else. So I, as you can imagine, they're struggling. Um, but I was thinking about that again versus bourbon. And I think the liquor industry as a whole, like, I don't think that a lot of the bourbon industry really relies on that on premise. Like when you go to, you know, a distillery, uh, in Kentucky, that that's almost to me, I, I feel is more of like a marketing, you know, wing of, of the distillery. Whereas, you know, a lot of these breweries, um, that's kind of their lifeblood is, is that's where they're making their money. Yeah. So the, the big difference in that is the bourbon you're drinking now was made five to seven years ago on average. It, it, you can't, whereas you're, you're pumping out these beers and you have new establishments, new breweries and things like that. If you go to a distillery, more than likely they're, they're storing the, the barrels of bourbon in like an archaic barn type warehouse. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and, and I, there's been a couple of times in history where the bourbon supplies went down and then there was a whole dip in the bourbon industry when like cocktails became popular, like mixed drinks during the late seventies, early eighties. So, um, I, they won't, what you're drinking now, we, they won't have the same effect cost wise. It probably won't hurt them at all, but you know, production wise, I don't know that they've been shut down or they're an essential business, but, uh, it'll be at least five years before they feel the um, effects of the coronavirus, which is crazy to me, you know, as somebody who's took multiple distillery tours, as you've been to uh, a bazillion breweries, um, like the distillery tours are almost all identical. It's just a different scenery. You know what I mean? Like, and there are some new, I say new, distilleries but they are like it was somebody bought out an old distillery right uh, well so i know here in like northern kentucky new rip is newer and they've been around already for like seven eight years like they just now released one of their first bourbons in the last yeah. like a couple years um they've been doing other spirits and things like that but um yeah it's interesting and, and we've also got in in ohio and I think there's a few in Kentucky, but we've got some that are doing uh, spirits and also doing um, beer as well. And I always kind of hesitate with that because it's like, you know, are you doing, you know, it's hard to do multiple things that are so, they're, they're kind of similar, but they're different. I feel like it's hard to do a world-class beer you know, brewery and be a world-class uh, distillery at the same time. 
I don't know. I don't know enough about both sides to really have a full opinion on that, but I think that it would be really hard to do both and do do them really, really well. Right. I mean, they're, they're two different animals, you know? So when you look at bourbon, it's water, uh, corn, <laughs> uh, you know, your yeast, um, and that, in in the barrel. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's like the, the mash that they put together, which when they do the runoff is like vodka, basically it, you know, and there's a whole way that they have to proof it and be under it. If you've got Hulu watch neat, it explains the whole thing, but basically bourbon is made the same way, no matter where you go. The only, the only variables would be the water you use, the people who provide you the corn, um, and, and where you buy your barrels. Right. You know, cause they char the barrels on the inside. So you fill up the barrel with your, with your, you know, double or triple distilled, uh, whiskey. And then you put it in a, you know, in a warehouse and let it sit. And what happens is, you know, the barrel soaks up so much of that, of the bourbon, uh, some of it evaporates, but you only get to use that barrel one time and you've got like, you know, this is, if you're a new distiller, you got one shot, (laughs) you know, you got this one shot to make your first run. And if it's ass, I mean, you're, you're doomed until the next cycle hits. And it's, it's, it's crazy to me that, you know, the, the wellers that I have, which is what I've got. Which, by the way, cheap bourbon back in the day. If you go, if you go try to buy it right now, like I found a bottle on budget bottles of Weller foolproof straight bourbon, and it's a weeded bourbon, a thousand bucks. That's crazy. You know, uh, uh, different different places selling them for uh, a couple hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. So I mean, it is here on Total Wine. Got a Weller bourbon, twelve year, forty bucks. So yeah, that's retail. Yeah, but you can't buy it; it's not there. <laughs> you know, like I say that it depends on what state you're in, because the way they distribute it, it's all by like volume and and yeah. supply and demand and and that. But the, what happened with Wellers is it's a weeded bourbon. It was cheap. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really nothing special. It, it It's not like a Pappy or uh, even like an Eagle Rare or anything like that. It's just like what, if you were going to come over and we're just chilling, you know, watching TV, watching a football game, we drink Wellers, you know, it's, it's like the, um, it is the, Jim Beam version, you know, it's like the plain Jane version of Buffalo trace. So, but so much of it's going to like Japan and places like that. And I got, I went down a rabbit hole of watching people because if you're, if you're true, like authentic, and I'm sure there's some etiquette for beer drinkers, but if you're a pure authentic bourbon drinker, you drink it neat, which is room temperature in a glass and you just sip it. You know, it's not chugging. It's really not made for shots. It's just a like a sipping whiskey. Yeah. But, you know, you can make an old-fashioned, a bunch of different things. But I started watching these bartenders in Japan, 
like there's no ice machines there. And I didn't realize that like they have blocks of ice delivered each day. And so they're making like balls of ice to put into these drinks and fascinating. Yeah. But I don't know. It's yeah. And I'm like just now getting into bourbon. I think we've had a lot of conversations about this, but I know that I like rye bourbons. So if I'm a guy that wants a rye bourbon, what would you recommend? Like a bullet or like uh, Basil Hayden's amazing. Bullet's good. Uh, Any like rye whiskey hits a little different. Like I feel all bourbon to me, how I judge it is like what it, what happens after I drink it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it, it all tastes the same in my mouth, basically. Um, the higher proof you go, like if you get into, uh, some knob Creek, which is Abby's favorite bourbon, um, it's a little like stronger, you know, it just, just feels way more, uh, spicy, I guess. I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's a stronger bourbon, but if you get like a maker's mark, you know, but rye hits a little different. Uh, the taste is good, but it, I don't know. It's that aftertaste that kind of not my favorite, (laughs) but, but I will not turn to like basil Hayden. You know, I've, I've drank bottles of that. Um, four roses is good. I think next week I'm gonna try to do four roses, single barrel. So I, the last time that I drank bourbon was probably last October and I had larceny and Mm -hmm. someone told me, this is like your starter. Like if you want something that you can find pretty much anywhere that's solid, um, this is the bourbon to get. And it was delicious. And I (laughs) drank a little bit too much of it. So, uh, so as a newcomer, what, what is some people, and I think it's just bullshit, but some people talk about drinking brown liquor, you know, I drank that brown liquor and they get aggressive. Uh, did you feel any of that? Like you, that no. liquid courage. No, my thing too is I'm so used to drinking beer where you know you can drink a pint of beer that's, you know, anywhere from, you know, on the low end, four percent on the high end, you know, seven percent for an IPA. I'm so used to drinking at that pace that, you know, going back to the sipping uh, <laughs> a ninety proof bourbon's gonna <laughs> fuck you up, dog. Yeah, so that was probably my biggest problem. And I had also had, i have been drinking beer all day and then switched to the bourbon. And the bourbon was, then switched to bourbon barrel-aged beer. And then, because that was my transition, you know, you gotta, you can't just go straight to bourbon. But then drank, then started drinking the bourbon. So, so I was drinking the, uh, you know, the, the 12 to 14% bourbon barrel-aged beers, uh, which, you know, those I know how to sip. Um, because I've had, you know, my fair share of, you know, the Russian Imperial Stouts or, you know, uh, a barrel, any sort of barrel aged. Um, I've been getting into uh, tequila barrel aged sour beers. Um, wait, wait, wait. I don't know. They, they've got, do they have tequila in them or they were? Yeah. So the, instead of being in a, instead of being aged in a bourbon barrel, uh, they'll age in a tequila barrel. 
Um, and that's typically very, very common in like a Goza or a sour uh, beer because it takes on that, um, you know, the, the, te- the tequila flavor a lot better. You'll see bourbon a lot with, um, with darker beers, uh, you know, the bourbon barrel aged beers. And the other thing too, to think, to think about too, is when bourbon barrel aged beers came out, like when they first, when it first became a thing, like, you know, like in the mid nineties to late nineties, these breweries would get these, uh, these barrels from, from distilleries. And a lot of times they would still have bourbon in them. Uh, they would have enough bourbon in them that the brewers could, you know, you know, drink, start doing shots of bourbon, uh, before they, (laughs) before they, you know, before they put their beer in, you know, there would be, you know, bourbon sloshing around in the barrel and now distilleries will take, and they, they take the, the barrels apart and, you know, squeeze and twist every last drop of, uh, bourbon they can get out of them. So when they get them, they're completely bone dry, uh, so you get a different bur- different barrel aged beer now than what you got, you know, 20 years ago, um, because I, I think they call it what the devil's cut, um, where they literally take the, the barrels and, and take them apart and, you know, squeeze every last drop of like a, like a sponge uh, to get any, any of the bourbon out that they can. And then they put them back together and they give them, they, instead of giving them away to breweries now, there's a, a trade where um they will actually sell you know there's like uh uh barrel uh brokers that will actually sell you know barrels to breweries because it's gotten to be such a big thing yeah most of the distilleries in kentucky i know buffalo trace and makers mark they're they're most of their barrels go to ireland and that's where you get your irish whiskey uh, your proper twelves and Jameson and and things like that. That's that's their big market. Um, I would say so, yeah, yeah, probably the most common bourbon barrel age is like a Four Roses. Um, I think that's they do a lot. They they put a lot of theirs in in uh, into craft breweries. But it's interesting seeing that you know that life of of the barrel after because you can only use it once for um as far as i know you can only use it once for for barrel aging a beer as well yeah yeah i would think after that i know back 15 years ago people would buy the the bourbon barrel same time you're talking about the you know when the bourbon barrel beers came out people would buy it fill them up with water and, and pull that bourbon out of it and then drink it like you know like it was a keg of beer but you got a barrel of bourbon and it's just you know, watered down, but it's still so much of that soaks up. I think off the top of my head, uh, after seven years, you're, you know, you're looking at 80% of what's, you know, 20% soaked in and evaporated. And the longer you, you leave it in there, the, the less you're going to get out of the actual barrel. So that's, which makes sense. That's the, what makes the rarity of those, you know, you get to, 10, 12, 20 year bourbons. Oh yeah. When you're cracking off seven year Jim Beam, the, you know, that barrel is basically full, but you got 23 year old Pappy and say you did 50 barrels where you're looking at maybe a quarter of a barrel of bourbon in there. So, uh, it's going to be obviously 
more. You're, you're more expensive and your volume's way down. You can't sell as much. And then it becomes, and you know, bourbon snobs will, will tell you it's great and amazing. And, and I've had the 15 year and it, it is great. But after, you know, after 10 years, it like crack that thing open. You know, it's meant, it's meant to be drank. Ready to go. That's yeah. what I always Yeah, it's meant to be shared. Yeah. One of my, um, one of my friends is a um, brewer for a pretty large brewery here in Cincinnati. And he always is very big on the, uh, the freshness of, of beer in particular. Um, we had this conversation like last weekend where he was saying, you know, any beer that is canned over like two months ago, um, you're going to start to lose some of that, you know, that freshness, especially in a can. Um, just because as, you know, as, as much as you seal it or as much as you seal a bottle that you're still going to get some oxygen in, in there. And for beer, that's the absolute worst enemy. And the people that, you know, will cellar their beers for years. And it's like, especially some of the aged beers, you know, that have been in a bourbon barrel or been in a, you know, tequila barrel, and then they can them. Um, they're, they should be ready to drink, you know, that first day that you, you know, that they come off that canning line. Um, so I, 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 my thing is I only save beers. I save good beers that I want for a special occasion not for I'm saving it to save it. Do you have a refrigerator just for beer or like, I, yeah, I, I assume like a small, there. yeah, like a small, like mini fridge, um, working my way up to, to so you, size. yeah, not to complete on the, along the same lines, but something that intrigued me listening to Joe Rogan's podcast was dry aged steaks. Have you ever had one? I, th- I think I might have had a dry aged steak at like a steakhouse, but I'm not like a I'm not the person to ask about that. I've had some I've had dry aged beef jerky. I know that for sure. Like beef jerky from made from dry aged steak. Yeah, that I think once you dehydrate it into jerky form, it would be fine. But looking at just how they do that, and and listen. I'm a guy who it could be the most beautiful, well-prepared steak in the world. I'm putting a one on it. I'm that, I'm that basic. Yeah. I don't care. I like, I like the taste of a one. If you, if you give me a pork chop, I'm putting a one on it, you know, unless they're shaking bait, even more basic. <laughs> so I, I was like looking into the eight to how the, the process is. And it looks nasty. And I'm, I've been called a picky eater. Uh, it doesn't look like it when you see my appearance, but I just don't know. Knowing how, I, I don't know. Like it, it talks about the dry aging. It's a, it's about the air intake and the temperature and all that. And you get like a moldy crust on. Yeah. And then you, you know, you cut, obviously cut that part off and then cook it and, I don't know, man. I feel I don't like know. a lot of times but, things that you know people take a lot of the, you know, a lot of this extra time to you know to do things that are. I, I don't think that the the time spent to make it special a lot of times is worth it, unless in the case of you're making a bourbon, you're making a bourbon barrel aged beer, you know, you're doing something like that that 
I think a lot of times where people, you know, get into this craziness of I'm going to, you know, save my own beer for, you know, years and sell her this and, and, um, I don't know, maybe that's just, just me, but you talked about the, the steaks. So I know you've got a bunch of steaks coming up. You oh man. Hey, <laughs> and I want to hear it. So from your wife, Abby, her standpoint of just getting the text of say, Hey, I bought a half a cow. I hope that's okay. <laughs> no, I didn't ask. I didn't ask if it was okay. I said, Hey, I bought a half a cow. Yeah. Same. So have you ever, b- before I get into it, have you ever had like that, uh, you, that natural processing beef? Like you get it straight from the butcher type processing plant. And like here, they're all FDA approved and all regulated and yeah. like straight from the slaughterhouse. I've had beer from, or not beer, but I got beer on the brain, but I've had meat like from a, straight from a butcher, but not straight from the farm. Yeah. So I was probably still in high school. My dad did the same thing. I I think he was like maybe bartered, traded his services and got half of a beef, which it's not like I get the front half, you get the back half or the top half or the bottom half. That kind of confused Abby. She's like, what half are we getting? Oh, we're getting the legs. Come on now. We're just splitting the meat up. So, uh, the way it's explained to me is these cows, about 12, 1,400 pounds, once you process them out, you're, you're looking at 800 pounds of usable meat, right? Uh, so I'm getting about 400 pounds of, uh, I, we're just getting steaks, roasts, and burger, and, you know, hamburger. So I'm at, my, I'm at the office, and the secretary there has... A cattle farm. Her husband's, you know, has a big farm, run a stockyard, all this stuff. And she's like, "Hey, got a few left? Trying to buy a cow? You, you know, trying to buy some meat?" I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "How much you want? You want a full half?" I was like, "Well, give me half." I didn't think really think about it at the time. Honestly, I don't have a deep freeze here. Uh, I don't have any of that. Uh, it's not going to be ready until August, but still, not prepared at all. So. She leaves. I text Abby. Hey, I just bought half a cow. And we've talked about this anyway. Like we go through a lot of hamburger and of course we enjoy steaks and you know, with the, with the climate, the way it is right now, it's hard to, uh, like prices of Kroger are going up. You know, we're talking about meat shortages. So what better way to like self-sustain? Cool. Gary's on board. It sinks in really today when Abby's asking about a deep freeze and people are like, you got half a cow. I was like, what is that? Is that a lot? And I'm, in my head, I'm thinking if we do tacos, right? If we have taco night yeah. for just me and the family, that's two pounds, you know, and we do tacos every Tuesday in my house. So two pounds and 52 weeks, you know, what is that? 104 pounds. That's just tacos. So that's a... That's just tacos. Uh, not to mention, you know, birthday presents. Hey, you get a prom cut of steak. <laughs> There's so many different options. I'm selling it on the side. That's repurposing it for a birthday. Yeah. Charlie's going to get a steak for a birthday. So. Think, yeah. So it's, and I think you said it was what, $600? 
Well, it's it's whatever market price is. So I've been told it'll be anywhere between like five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. But even I don't know. Even if you buy, you know, four hundred pounds of of beef for, you know, eight say eight hundred dollars. That's two dollars a pound. That's a I mean, yeah. you're not getting that price anywhere. Um, but it it also so so it comes completely butchered, right? Or or not. Yeah, yeah, it's all vacuum sealed because I've I've seen it two different ways. Like the Amish, when they process it, they give it to you in like wax paper, like little, like you would get it from an old school butcher, like in paper. There you go, freeze it, and it doesn't last as long. This is all vacuum sealed, uh, you know, already cut, you know, into steaks and and already pushed through as burger and, and roast. I remember when my dad did it. They did, it was more, it was, wasn't as specific. So like the cow's tongue was in there, like all kinds of shit. I was like, what? But if you've ever had this kind of hamburger, there's no fat on it, which is weird. It's hard to like patty it out. And you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't stick together that well. Cause there's hardly any fat. Yeah. You gotta add in the, uh, like eggs and stuff to make it. Yeah. Make it into burger. Which I'm going to give. I'm going to credit my wife on something. She made meatloaf for the first time. Uh, and it was amazing. Are you a meatloaf fan? I am. And meatloaf is one of those things where everyone has a different recipe for meatloaf. And everyone thinks their recipe is the best. And I think everyone's recipe is also the best. I will eat any meatloaf. Yeah, same. <laughs> the only thing different she did was with like the glaze. She put mixed barbecue sauce with the ketchup. I even did ketchup, just straight ketchup. Uh, yeah. So, it, but it like I, I was eating it, and I ate it the next day. The best part about meatloaf is meatloaf sandwiches afterwards. So, so, but so I, I'm also a noob, and when it comes to this, so 400 pounds of beef. If you buy a regular size deep freeze, is your 400 pounds going to fit in there, or do you have to buy like a industrial size deep freeze? So five cubic feet is what we've been told will fit half a cow because the, the, I think the hamburger comes in one or two pound rolls. So, I mean, if you, if half of that was, was rolled hamburger, which I assume it probably is, they probably just would be, I mean, I think that'd be the easiest way to process it is just make it on a hamburger. But, um, but I don't think, you're but yeah, five cubic. you know, uh, steak and ribeye steak and the hamburger. <laughs> Not. Like how? How do you know? I mean, I I guess if that's your profession, you know which part is ribeye. I'm sure it's some like the location of where you get the meat, but yeah. So you know, I, I used know, to work at uh, at Kroger, and um, one of the funny things was going to like the meat merchandisers, and they would have literally a giant poster on their wall that had a cow, and it had where all the you know, where all the cuts would come from. And then it would have um, what each cut actually looked like in, you know, in kind of like a grocery store form. Um, and then similar to like what, um, yeah, look, just if you look at like a poster of, you know, where like the like butt is like the shoulder and that's used for, used for like roast and things like that. Um but, it's not actually the butt. I'm so I'm so disappointed. I know. 
that always confused me too. I'm like, and it's funny too that in so Kroger, um, so I used to work on the ads for Kroger, and of course, being you know the national, you know the the nation, nationwide company that they are, um, they have ads that you know are anywhere from in California to you know to the to the deep south, and different cuts of meat are called different things in different areas, and the people that you know, you have to know all of that stuff. Um, so it's funny that, you know, they call it like, um, uh, like Boston, butt is the same as the West coast calls it a shoulder, um, things like that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, and they would also, for example, in, um, in the South, they would, um, show like a ground beef on, um, like a burger on the, you know, in, in, uh, Texas, it might be Texas and Arizona. It might be a taco and in California, it might be the same ground beef they show in the ad with, you know, a taco with some, or, you know, something with some avocado or a taco, um, things like that. So it's not something you really think about, but when you're, you know, doing, doing a marketing plan for, for the whole country, it's, it's different where you can you can sell basically the same product but um in multiple different ways or they would show meatloaf in the south <laughs> versus yeah i think meatloaf is very big in uh in california is there a restaurant who's like you've had their meatloaf and you're like yeah this is it i know you like all meatloafs but um is there is, because it's i mean i know like diners and things like that are probably more apt to have meatloaf on their menu than say a steakhouse or something like that. But is there any place you go where you're like, I'm order the meatloaf? The type of places that I would go that I would be apt to order the meatloaf would be like a cracker barrel or something like that. That has like, you know, down home type cooking comfort. 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 Yeah. It's like talking about like a, like a, and sometimes I just, I crave like, you know, Hey, I want to go to cracker. Barrel. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I'm usually just a breakfast guy, Cracker Barrel, to be honest. Yeah. All day. I Give me pancakes one. at 3 p.m. I don't care. <laughs> I crave the... So, um, my wife is a vegetarian, so at home we don't cook meat. But the th- the two things... Whoa, 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 wait. So, so, because she's a vegetarian, you can't cook meat at home, or it's just you respect that? And you follow the vegetarian and, lifestyle. I respect that. And I like that she cooks for me and she makes amazing vegetarian food. And also it's fun. Like one of the things that like, I feel like is therapeutic is cooking. Like I have like a huge Pinterest board. And the only thing I ever look at on Pinterest is recipes. Uh, and I don't, I'm not a baker, but I love to cook. Um, so I like looking at different, like unique ways to you know to to make things without meat but my point being the two things that i probably crave the most are burgers and fried chicken so i my thing too is when i go out i eat whatever i want so if we got to eat i'll get a burger but at home we don't eat meat so it's way cheaper no fish like no meat at all no so we wow yeah yeah. good on her if she's like I don't know. I don't think I could do it. I think Are Oreos vegetarian? 
Oreos are actually vegan, believe it or not. You know what else is vegan? Heroin. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's no meat or uh, animal products in heroin. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's that. It's very, uh, very sustaining as well. I don't, I thinking about my daily diet, like I'm doing low carb. I'm on day, what's today? I'm day four. Um, and there's, you know, there's so many different diets out there, but this is one I know that I know what to cook, fix. I know what I can eat, what I can't eat, what it looks like on my body, how I feel when I do it. And one of the benefits for me is that when, once you really get into ketosis and start, you know, getting in that pattern, you, you don't get hungry. Yeah. Um, like the cravings I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm still battling the cravings. Like my daughter loves to bake. She's, she's been doing an amazing job. I'll give her all the credit in the world. She just took to it naturally. I don't know. I mean, granted it's stuff out of a box and, uh, still, but she, she does. Yes. Yeah, she, yes. Yeah, she, she does great with it. And like, and she just likes to do it. Obviously she likes, she likes to eat it as well, but she made brownies last night. And she's like, Hey, I can't fit all these brownies in the dish. You know, and I've already had one. You want one? I was like, no, but you know, part of me wanted to, to go in there and just devour them this morning. But if I can get through like the next couple of days, I feel like I'll be great. But that being said, my snacks are slim Jim's beef jerky, uh, cheese, eggs, you know, there's, I don't see any viable way for me to be a vegetarian. Like snack on cucumbers and carrots. I don't know. Like I, yes. Yeah. I like, yeah. Charlie got um, a hamburger today with pickles on it. So I ate her pickles. I like, I've been thinking about doing the uh, intermittent fasting where you can do like, you know, you limit yourself to like 400 or six, six hour window. No, not not because I don't want to do it every day, but I I think I could do like the you know the people will do like two days a week they limit themselves to like four hundred calories for the whole day or six hundred calories and then the other days of the week you can eat whatever you want. Yeah, see, it's that whole eat whatever you want agenda that I cannot follow. When you say that, I will take that literally. I will eat anything and everything I want, as much of it. So I got to, I don't know. I've only been successful like six weeks at a time, six to eight weeks till usually it's centered around some event like a wedding or, you know, holidays. Now, like Thanksgiving, super easy. Give me all the turkey and ham. Y'all have everything else. (laughs) See, I'm like the opposite. I'm like, I get like a tiny little bit of turkey, like, douse it in gravy but i'm like the mashed potato stuffing guy on thanksgiving yeah see i can do just the macaroni and cheese yeah a doorbell yeah that's probably my son (laughs) they're coming they they graciously took a walk while we did this so i guess they're coming back i guess that might be time to end it then that's week two and a wrap that's a wrap next week new beers i'll have to I'll, I'll buy a new bourbon this week. So many that I, I guess I'll try one that I've never tried. We'll go with that route. Something I don't that give you my first impression. Um, 
So hopefully, hopefully we'll be back next week. I probably have the COVID doesn't beer, take us. beer stash right now that I've had in a long time. So I've got some selections. All right. Well, David McKinney, till next week, I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.